Welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I'm Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Well, Jensen, on today's extremely exciting and special episode of the Doxology Podcast, we are very pleased uh, and thankful to welcome two guests. Um, I don't know if we want to you know, hype them up before we let them speak or just kind of, you know, hand it over to them right away. But we are very pleased to welcome Daniel and John William, who uh, I won't give too much away. I think I'll, they'll probably say it better than I could in terms of yeah. who they are and what they're do- about. But um, thank you guys so much for, for being here, especially with different time zones and technology and different sides and all of the that. world. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So if you guys want to just introduce yourselves, let the listeners know who you are and, and what you do. So I'm John William, John William Noble. Uh, I'm a church planter based in Aberdeen, which is in the northeast of Scotland. And I've, I've been in my current role situation for the last 18 months. We, we planted our church in April of 2019. I'm married. My wife is called Binglin, and we have two young children, our son Amos, who will be four in March, and our daughter Undian, which is the Chinese name for Grace, and she's just over one year old. And I am Daniel. I am originally from Germany, so my last name is Funke, though most people shorten it to Funk. <laughs> and uh, I'm, a, I'm a church planting pastor in Glasgow, which is another city in Scotland. And I've, I've been here for the past three years now. And uh, I, I didn't grow up in a church. I, I grew up in a very secular environment in what used to be uh, East Germany. And I've uh, come to know the Lord primarily through reading the Bible when I was 19. And I uh, committed my life to the Lord, uh, was baptized, and have now been following the Lord for the past 14 years or so. Yeah, so... Uh, so Daniel and, and John William are, are sort of spearheading a, an exciting new Kickstarter campaign. Um, is So I'm no Greek expert. Uh, I never took Greek. I took Hebrew in Bible college. Um, and Lucas, I know you're taking Greek. Is, is the title of your um, Kickstarter like the, is it Parasia? Or how do you pronounce the? I've heard about less? every yeah. possible way to <laughs> pronounce <laughs> it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Parasia is how I would Parisia. say it. Okay. Parisia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So there, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about, a little bit about this Kickstarter? What are you guys hoping to, to do? What do you guys want to accomplish with, uh, with this? So I, I personally used to work for the Banner of Truth um, from uh, beginning of 2016. And uh, I was working as part of the editorial department. Uh, and so I did typesetting, copy editing work. And one of the projects I was working on was the, the new edition of the Westminster Standards that was eventually released in early 2018. That's the one, one right here. holding it up. Very for us. cool. So I was a project editor for that. And not being a Presbyterian myself, I thought the entire time working on it, that it would be fantastic to have something like that uh, available for Baptists. And so from then on, uh, I've always had that in the back of my mind as uh, possibly a project to work on uh, eventually. Then entered ministry. 
uh, things were very busy. I'm, I'm pastoring a church that holds to the 1689 confession. I was previously a member of a church that held to the 1689 confession, still does. And um, so I've shared that with John William on a number of occasions. And he and I have actually worked together on a book recently, a book that he wrote uh, that's recently been published by Whip Van Stock on the topic of marriage. And talking to him and, and working with him on that book, and, and, and apart from that, by the way, we're close friends, we're partners in the gospel. Um, but working together on a project kind of brought out in both of us a desire to be active in publishing and then also to, in particular, publish a new edition of uh, our Confession of Faith. And so we thought it would be prudent for us, uh, not being rich, uh, to see what the feedback would be on, uh, on, on something like a Kickstarter campaign. And so we put it on Kickstarter a few weeks back. And since then, it's been very, very positively received. Uh, we're, we're looking at publishing a new edition of the, uh, of the Baptist Confession of Faith, which includes the scripture proofs, so not just the references, but the proofs themselves. We want to publish a nice edition, one that looks nice on the page, one that is uh, well-produced, that's cloth-bound, hardback, uh, one that people can use for years to come. And with that, we want to also publish a companion paperback that contains, at the moment, a couple of documents. One is the Baptist Catechism, one is a short confession of faith by Benjamin Keach. And possibly if we are reaching uh, one of our stretch goals, we're hoping to also publish um, Hercules Collins's and Orthodox Catechism. Uh, but that's a project. It's still on for, uh, at the time of uh, us recording this podcast episode, it's still on for over four weeks. And a lot of people have been uh, very, very excited about it. Uh, Jens has been one of them. Um, and, and so we're uh, excited to do it. We're also very busy actually working on the documents themselves. So that's maybe a good short introduction of what it is that, that we're doing with that at the moment. Long term, you know, we have other ideas. People have been asking us, what are you going to do next? <laughs> and um, uh, we're personally excited that people are excited. Obviously, we want to take it one step at a time. But there is I think a great opportunity for us to uh, enter that publishing ministry um, in particular from a reformed Baptist perspective here in Scotland um, and, and to look long-term as to what we can do to publish both um, uh, documents that were originally written in the 17th century, as well as contemporary uh, books on, on various topics. Very cool. I guess one, one thought that jumps to mind, do, do you guys hope to, I mean, maybe this is the big, big picture, but do you guys hope to like one day be a publishing house or do you guys, like, is this more of an independent thing that you're working with another publisher or how does, how does that work? I, I can maybe just give a, a bit of details on that. So we, we've already set ourselves up as a limited company. I think the, the idea with the 3000 pound target was basically an assessment of could we reach a, a financial goal that would enable us to bring out an edition of the confession. But given the response that we've had to the project and the fact that we've obviously gone significantly past that, that and now we're into stretch goals, we realized that well, we're in, actually in a position now where we can establish ourselves as a publishing house. It's a little bit of a, an interesting situation at the moment because people have been complimentary of, of 
what it is that we're proposing to do, even though we've not done it yet. I mean, I, I, I can say this with, with more kind of confidence in terms of because Daniel's the one who's done the typesetting, but even somebody who, who's connected with uh, like publishing and another person who's been working for the Banner of Truth have spoken very highly of the, 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 the general look and idea of this work. And it's, it's set us on a, on a right footing for establishing something more long-term. And that's why with the relationship we've established with a, a local but well-known printing company in Glasgow and also establishing ourselves as a limited company and getting things sorted out financially and practically, even registering our proposed book with the what's known as Nelsons and then what will be gardeners in the UK for those of those of the people listening who are aware of these things. These are all just practical and administrative steps that are actually moving us in the direction to be an established publishing house in the months and maybe by the Lord's grace years to come. So yes, that's we're exciting. That's very that cool. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess yeah, I, I, I'd be, Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. So I was going to say like, just, even if you haven't, you know, listeners heard of this project before, or seen the the Kickstarter page, even just the description and the the sort of like sample uh, pictures available, it it I'm very excited to in the future, you know, the near future, um, get to actually get my hands on one of these. They are look, you know, you know, a picture is just a picture, but it, it looks fantastic from a just like a user standpoint in terms of um, being able to see the, the text of the actual confession along with all of the proofs like, like was mentioned. And um, I think it's, it's a really exciting project for um, a number of reasons, but, but also just being able to draw from that well of, of, of confessional and traditional um, documents that, that not everyone has necessarily, you know, heard of or used or um Had access has access to. to yeah yeah at least at least easily um so i'm definitely excited and, and um excited also you know not to rush you but to see what comes next as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> everybody wants what's next and you guys haven't even done what you're currently doing but um yeah in in that vein i mean our i think we mentioned sort of before recording here that our, our podcast is um unique in the sense that i am reformed baptist lucas is an anglican um, and so I, I personally have a lot of excitement for this project for that reason. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I've, I've looked for editions of the 1689, I think Founders Ministries, um, they have like a, a 1689 in modern English, which is okay. Um, but like, I, like, I don't know, I think it's fair to say that there aren't a lot of really good, easily accessible, um, as Lucas mentioned, like beautiful and appealing um, aesthetically editions of the 1689 so from from my vantage point i'm I'm quite excited but um i i am curious to know um how each of you came to consider yourself a reformed baptist i guess i'm not really i'm not super familiar with the theological background of you know your countries where you guys come from Um, but i can imagine that just like in america you know reformed baptists particular baptists uh we are not very well represented there's not a lot of us um so Mm -hmm. i'm kind of curious how you guys got there so the, this is a question that I, I guess we could speak a long time on, so I will try to be brief because it shares quite a bit of a testimony of how, at least certainly for me, uh, I, I came, came to, to ministry and then certainly to church planting. So 
growing up, I, I was blessed to be brought up in a in a Christian home, and when I when I became a Christian, age of twelve, and then in my teenage years, I, I had been attending like Baptist church churches, uh, well, the one in my hometown, sporadically, but. My, my parents at that point were attending a Presbyterian church as members and when I was 15 I started studying systematic theology. My, my, my father who was a teacher was teaching me and because this was my strongest subject at school I then went to university and the University of Aberdeen to study theology at that level and and so around about this time in my kind of latter teenage years I came to very clear Calvinistic convictions so around about that time I started to know and understand what that meant and I was particularly engrossed in studying the topic of the sovereignty of God which Daniel who obviously knows me well knows that this is my kind of I don't know hobby horse if, it, if I could pick one topic from scripture that I would <laughs> speak at great length on uh, in, in terms of the the reformed Baptist part of it in Aberdeen and anywhere near Aberdeen, there was no such thing. I mean, there are Baptist Union churches. I mean, I, I won't say much about other, other denominations and churches, but obviously for me, there were increasingly significant theological differences there. But because I, I had Baptist convictions as well as Reformed convictions, I was attending a Baptist church. But it was increasingly difficult and I would say in my my, my early 20s I'd, I'd already been preaching quite a lot at that time there wasn't really a, a biblical investing in training and equipping me for ministry but I was thankful for resources I was reading and studying and friendships that I was beginning to develop and it was round about kind of my mid to late 20s that I actually met Daniel just before I went to Edinburgh to begin my first pastorate. Now, this was in a what was known as a, an evangelical church in Edinburgh, connected with ethnically Chinese or British-born Chinese people. So my wife, she's from China, and I was pastoring there. But even though I had scope to minister and to preach and to lead the church based on what was my Reformed and Baptist convictions, the, there was a lack of clarity about what it was that this church believed and round about that time in my pastorate it became very clear to me how important it was for a church to be clear on what it is that we believe and it was in 2017 that I started to properly get to know of reformed Baptist churches in Scotland so just to be brief on this there were there would be roughly about a dozen Reformed Baptist churches in Scotland and all of these churches would be I mean even in UK size relatively small I mean memberships could range from maybe 10 to 30 or 40 roughly so just to give you the idea and there was obviously nothing of that nature in the northeast of Scotland where I was from so even though at this time, I was obviously Reformed Baptist. I'd never been in a Reformed and Baptist church until I actually joined Grace Baptist Church Edinburgh with a view to being sent to plant a Reformed Baptist church in Aberdeen. And 
when I when I first studied the confession, because I, I was only properly introduced to the confession in 2017, one thing that's interesting, and, and I'm, I'd be curious just speaking to more and more Reformed Baptists around the world about this, for me, I didn't read the, the confession, which was convincing me of my position. I actually read the confession and saw that it aligned with the, the things that I'd already come to as a conviction. And it's been interesting because some other people I've spoken to, whether in the UK or elsewhere, a lot of people, it's actually been another way that the confessions had an impact in shaping their theology. And that, that's an interesting discussion, which I, I find has been yeah, something I've, I've got my teeth into with a few people. But um, I mean, just to say also briefly, therefore, so for, for our church now in, in Aberdeen, and it's similar for, for, for Daniel and Govan, we have a, a confessional stance for our church. I mean, I mean, I can say more about this soon. And that has been the absolute backbone of what it is that we do as a church plant. I mean, often the big question about church planting is, oh, who is, who is it we're reaching? What's our demographic? I mean, these are important questions, but the first question that I would say we must be clear on is, what do we believe? And mm. obviously, being Reformed Baptist, being confessional, we get clarity in that. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Uh, you know, I grew up in churches that were affiliated with the denomination. They had statements of faith, but it was very, I don't, I don't know the right word. Like it didn't feel looking back. It doesn't feel like it was very firm. You know, it's, it's one thing to write up a statement of faith as a, as a yeah. church, you know, yeah. board or whatever, but it's another thing to recognize and affirm a confession of faith, a, you know, we can point back to this that is outside of our own opinions um, and say this represents and communicates what we believe um, is revealed in scripture. And I think that's just such an important um, aspect of, of, you know, just church life and community life as Christians that I've really come to appreciate. So I, I definitely resonate with that and appreciate that. Yeah. And, and, and Daniel, before you, before you go, um, I, <clears throat> I will say for me, um, when I, so I, I grew up also in a, in a, in a Christian home, um, pretty mildly evangelical. It was just, just sort of your typical American, uh, evangelical church. And so having gone to, um, a, a Bible college, um, you know, four year, it's, you know, an undergraduate degree in the States. Um, it was really the first time in my life that I was exposed to real theology and uh, the school that I went to, um, that Lucas and I both went to, is um, you know Moody Bible Institute. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but um, pretty pretty well known, but pretty dispensational in their theology. Um, pretty, I don't know. There's there, there's Moody is a strange place. There's a lot going on there, but um, it was actually you know in being exposed to just new different theology and in, in studying scripture on my own, I actually coming to the 1689 coming to the the, the reformed baptist world I, similar to you john william i i had this thought of like wow like i i totally agree with these things that i'm reading it wasn't that i was just i happened to be reading 1689 type stuff and i was like convincing myself to become a 1689er if that's <laughs> the way to say it but um you know it was it was sort of the way that you described it just in, in my own convictions and my own reading of scripture that's sort of the where I landed. So I'm, I'm curious how Daniel got to, to be where he's at. 
I think my general journey is probably quite similar to to you and John William. My starting point was a different one because uh, I, I didn't grow up in a in a Christian family. I didn't grow up in a in a church. Um, and when I became a Christian, my starting point was actually Mennonite. So I spent a year in the U.S. Mm. and Kansas as an exchange student, and that's where I was first exposed to uh, church, uh, to the Bible, and uh, the people I stayed with. A uh, very, very old couple. Um, they gave me a Bible as a uh, graduation present. And at the time, I was a very convinced atheist. Uh, in my mind, that issue was settled. And I, I came home. And by the grace of God, a few months after that, started reading the Bible. Came, came, to, um, came to faith through reading the Bible and, uh, and God's work in my life. And then had as a starting point, being a, being a Mennonite. So I was baptized in a Mennonite um, kind of baptismal service in Kansas the following year. And, um, and then had to wrestle with the Bible as to what I actually believed um, because I didn't really have a starting point uh, that was firm and solid um, other than some very, very basic and important truths. And so over time, uh, with the help of a lot of stuff I would read, a lot of stuff I'd see online, I started to hold to Calvinistic views. Um, I started to hold to Baptistic views. I started to embrace um, some other distinctives of thoroughly evangelical and reformed theology. And, and then what happened to me is what happened to you guys, that I eventually came across the confession of faith and it, it gave a voice to what I had believed. And it helped me then to dig deeper as to what that means and in terms of a broader system of doctrine. And um, I've actually written a blog post about that recently, and, and I called it on finding my doctrinal home. And that I think is a good metaphor of looking at it to say, well, I'm home now, doctrinally, I'm home now, I'm, I've arrived. It doesn't mean I've solved every um, theological puzzle there is it doesn't mean i don't have any more questions but it feels like i've arrived mm. that's a good way to put it um in in your guys's views um what do you what do you think is something you know i think our listenership um might be a little bit divided between reformed baptists between anglicans lucan has uh, lucas has um, sort of brought a number of his beast and divinity school friends over into our, into our world who happen to be Anglican too. Um, so for those who might not be reformed Baptist, can you maybe give an obvious identifier that makes a reformed Baptist distinct from say Presbyterians or just normal Baptists or Mennonites even, you know, what, what do you guys, what do you guys see as obvious, obvious identifiers? I mean, the, 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 this can be a broad question because it, it really depends what you're comparing it to. So, I mean, just kind of starting general and then working in a, in a more narrow way. I mean, the, the first one to say, obviously, is, well, we have a confession which gives clarity as to what we believe. Now, to some churches and Christians, that might seem like a, a, an obvious thing, but increasingly it's not. So you would go on to your average, I, I don't know, evangelical church website, and they may have a, a very broad and general statement of faith, and that's pretty much it. So 
I think that is an important distinctive, certainly for churches like ours in Scotland. To say we're confessional gives a greater clarity when we say Reformed Baptist, because I know of churches in, in this country that we stay in that would say they're Reformed, but they're not actually teaching in line with what I would class to be Reformed and Baptist. And the reason I can give clarity to that is because we have a confession which we believes, believe is an accurate summary of what the Bible teaches. And it enables us to be clearer about what we mean when we talk about biblical Christianity. We submit to the whole counsel of God. We're serious about man's chief end being the glory of God and that he is worthy to be praised. And all of this is rooted in doctrinal clarity. So I think on a first level, when we're contrasting this with churches that are overly pragmatic or they're basically just liberal or certainly apostate, I mean, one thing that a confession does, it defines truth against error. I mean, that's one thing of what being confessional is. I mean, obviously, that's not to say that every theological tradition is an error. So, for example, I have very godly brothers who are Presbyterian and obviously they I mean, if we're talking about confessional Presbyterians, they have their own confession and much of it we, 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 we would be aligned to, but we do have notable differences. We can have fellowship on many levels. I would strongly argue on a local church level that we shouldn't because we are serious about issues such as baptism. I consider these, these brothers, sisters, brothers and sisters in the faith, but we have doctrinal clarity at a church level, which I believe is crucial because therefore we're communicating, we are serious about what the Bible teaches. And this means that we're not working in a broad way, we're working in a narrow way. I mean, the word of God teaches us in a manner that we are to be narrow. We don't stray from the scriptures and we don't try to add to the scriptures. And obviously, I mean, I'm not wanting to have a, a big dig what, for example, Presbyterians would teach, but as a Baptist, I would say that in one or two areas, there has been a maybe a slight adding to, as we would believe it to be. And so obviously this is, again, where, because we are confessional, we have clarity about what we believe in all of these issues. I mean, that's just to kind of give a, a broad overview of, of, of some of the ways in which we would identify those differences. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. Oh, go ahead, Lucas. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think that's that's super helpful, and 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 then I was going to say, if, if Daniel has anything um, <laughs> other of, of yeah, note, I'll, I'll be in agreement with that. All right. I cool. think I think that's also a good a good segue into this question of you know we talk a lot about unity amongst diversity on this podcast. We we hope to sort of embody it when we come to our disagreements. Um, so you, I think that this is sort of already been under the surface in a few of the things we've said already. Um, but it, maybe to put a little bit more of a point on it, what, what does it look like as confessional Christians, what, whatever that confession may be, to, to be committed to that doctrinal clarity and, and to, to have an understanding of what your, your home is theologically and doctrinally, and to charitably engage with those other theological traditions that um, we might come into contact in just in terms of conversation or um, people that we, you know, maybe go to school with and develop these friendships mm -hmm. with, but come to different church homes. Um, 
you know, we, we don't have to get into this, obviously, for a variety of reasons, especially time, but different views on baptism is, is always a, a convenient one. I think it's very, mm-hmm. it's a good one to, to talk about, I feel like, but, you know, just what does it look like to have those differences? Um, and as you said, John Williams, still consider each other brothers and sisters in a real sense and not just like giving lip service to that idea. So I think for us to say that the confession is our starting point is true for both the convictions that we hold to and our attitude of being charitable uh, to other people. So if, if you're actually going to the confession and you read the letter uh, to the reader, there's a couple of things in there that's very helpfully uh, put. So one, they align themselves with the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Savoy Declaration, which is the uh, uh, Confession of Faith of our congregational friends. And they say they follow the, the order of doctrines. Um, they, they follow the order of the Presbyterians and of the Congregationalists, finding, I'm quoting now, finding no defect in this regard in that fixed on by the assembly, i.e. the Westminster Assembly, and after them by those of the Congregational Way, we did readily conclude it best to retain the same order in our present confession. And then they go on to say that um, they are abundantly, that, that they are delighted to have agreement with both in all the fundamental articles of the Christian religion, as also with many others whose orthodox confessions have been published to the world on behalf of Protestants in diverse nations and cities, and also to convince all that we have no itch to clog religion with new words, but to readily acquiesce in that form of sound words, which have been in consent with the Holy Scriptures, used by others before us, hereby declaring before God, angels, and men, our hearty agreement with them in that wholesome Protestant doctrine with which so clear evidence of scripture they have asserted. And, and so the starting point here is one of great charity for them to say, look, there are, there are people that we disagree with, but we want to show that we have a lot of agreement with Presbyterians, congregational churches, and, and Anglicans could certainly be added, those Anglicans who hold to an, an evangelical understanding of the 39 articles, for instance. But then also internally in terms of what the confession says about the the visible church the universal church there's a clear understanding that all are saved who who repent of their sins and trust in the lord jesus christ and they're part of the church that that jesus died for them and because jesus died for them they are precious and and therefore uh that that should uh, furnish us with a desire to be charitable and to be loving to our brothers but then nevertheless to say we do hold the Bible to teach, uh, for example, credo baptism. And therefore, it is a loving thing for us to say to Lucas, be baptized upon profession of faith. Uh, and, and, uh, and not seeing their contradiction between us being charitable and between us having um, those convictions. Yeah, that's yeah. so good. <laughs> <laughs> I guess well, I'm curious. I'm curious to know, you know, where you guys find yourselves. What are some of the traditions you encounter? Or what is the religious life like, generally speaking, or specifically, however you want to? In Scotland? Yeah, in Scotland, or in, in your. You said you're from Germany. Um, mm-hmm. what, what's it like there for those of us here in America who, you know, we have a sense of what goes on here, but maybe not globally. Well, Scotland would be historically just very, very Presbyterian. That following John Knox. 
you have the, the Church of Scotland, which had a strong influence on the country. And, um, and you still have a lot of evangelical Presbyterian churches in Scotland. They don't tend to be part of the Church of Scotland anymore, which is, for the most part, apostate. Um, but by and large, people are still very, very Presbyterian. And then you do have churches that might be uh, similar to what John William mentioned. It might be, for example, Baptistic um, and, and perhaps Calvinistic in some sense, but they wouldn't necessarily say they're Reformed Baptists. There are very few Reformed Baptist churches in Scotland, as John William mentioned. For the most part, they're very small. Um, I think the largest um, or, or the fastest growing group of churches in, in Scotland uh, would be um, uh, various charismatic movements um, up to like extreme prosperity gospel uh, type churches that we have. Uh, and then Germany is quite different. Germany is very, very secular. Um, you, you would have a significant portion that would nominally um, be Catholic and you would have a significant portion that would nominally be Protestant. But in terms of uh, regenerate Christians uh, who, are, who are gathering together in churches, that'd be very, very few. And I think it's worth us praying for uh, more evangelical churches being planted in Germany. Uh, I, know, I know there are uh, Reformed Baptist church plants in Germany that, that try to reach out to their communities. And, um, but certainly Germany is, is a very dark place spiritually. Despite uh, it, its very significant history when it comes right. to the church. Mm. It's fascinating. And it's something that I personally have just found very interesting, you know, studying movements of, of Christianity throughout history, the way that um, in our country, um, for example, you know, you can have something like the Great Awakening and you can have, you know, preachers like Whitfield and Edwards and the, the work that they did and how quickly such fervor, such um, what seemed like great devotion can can fizzle out, and and you know especially in that part of the country, that's actually where where Lucas is from. He's from Massachusetts, and um, you know not far from where Edwards would have been doing his his work, you know, in the 1700s. Yeah, that's one of the most secular parts of of our country. One where um, I, I remember one year um, at Moody, we had a guy come and speak and just talk about the the need for church plants for um, for people to come and to do work amongst New England. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to hear some sort, maybe sort of a, a similar thing is happening in, in Germany as well. But mm -hmm. yeah, I guess as we maybe begin to, to wrap up here, um, I, I, I personally backed the, the Kickstarter right when it came out, I was super excited about it. So I've been getting your, your Kickstarter campaign updates. And in a recent email, you guys said, you had a quote that said, saving faith is known by its fruits, having lively, sin-killing, soul-humbling, self-abasing, Christ-exalting, and heart-purifying operations always attending it. So this, you know, this, this is just more speaking generally as, as Christians. Um, how, how do you guys see this lived out in your lives? How do you see this in your churches? How do you see this in your families? Um, how do you see people growing in their faith and their knowledge and their love for the Lord? Because I think at the end of the day, you know, when we, when we really get down to it, that's a really important thing to, I don't know, to look at. Just recently, I, I was preaching on Mark chapter 11, where Jesus clears the temple and he sees the, the tree that's in leaf, but it doesn't have any fruit. And one of the things that 
I was drawing out from that sermon, which has been a big part of not just how I've been seeking to lead our church, but even in thinking and praying about my own life, is what we find in the temple that's such a such a disgrace and horror is the apostasy, yes, but it's the irreverence before God. And I think the the basis of this with regards to its fruits and all that's in that quote is first of all, do we have a desire to worship the living God? And this has been a question that's been all the more pressing in 2020 when we have so many restrictions from being able to do so. And so many people who, some of which have had genuine reasons to not be attending church physically, but many more have literally been saying they're happy to stay at home and have a cup of tea, quote, and Sunday is now a family day and they don't need church, these types of things. So I think this is something that, that has to drive when we talk about fruit in the Christian life, when we talk about battling against the desires of the flesh, when we talk about going out to reach our increasingly apostate nation, as is the case in Scotland, do we have a desire that God's name be glorified? And this is so crucial because what, what I see increasingly, even within churches, is a small God, small sin, low commitment, no cost, high gain brand of Christianity and mm. our very posture before this God, it's by his sheer grace that we're breathing this very moment. And because of Christ, we're alive to live for him, to worship him and to live our lives in service to him. And for, for me, for my family, for my church family, this is what must drive us on. I mean, if, if I were to give a sermon on evangelism, for example, or or our lives as being sanctified believers, when we talk about sin killing, soul humbling, self abasing, that's where we have a posture of standing who we are before the living God and seeing, yes, we are unworthy, undeserving sinners, but now we stand right in his presence because of Christ. And that drives us away from sin and that drives us to Christ. And this is what I believe that we were crying out for in churches, certainly in Scotland, as our nation becomes increasingly liberal, where our government is producing legislation yearly, which is going further and further away from not only the Bible, but it's an attack on the very foundations of what we believe as Christians. And so with that increasing apathy towards Christian Christianity, this is something that I desperately hope and pray the church in our land will see the need of all the more. And it, it, it comes from first and foremost, that posture of do we desire to worship and to serve the living God? Uh, I mean, that would be the, the, the very heart of addressing this quote. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. I, I preach a, I was going to a sermon in this, but that would be the, the kind of <laughs> keeping it concise. I would say. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That was really good. Well, I mean, do you guys have any, any closing remarks, anything you guys want to add any, Anything else? Another brief thing to mention uh, on, a, on, a, on a side point, but it relates to what I've just said. Another thing I'd value prayer for, and this is, again, why I'm particularly busy in this season, is that I've, I've been in the process of, of, of working alongside brothers in another confessional church in the city to see a Christian school being established. We've already been attacked by the secular media for this. We're trying to keep it a little bit below radar, kind of under the radar. But at the same time, we do want brothers and sisters around the world to be praying for this. 
uh, I, I strongly believe we, we need more of a Christian root and foundation for the next generation that are rising up thinking about my own children and also just simply because I believe that this is a right and biblical thing to do but it is a great challenge in the midst of the my work as a church planter and the work we're doing with the publisher as well it's obviously a, a busy but exciting time so we'd also value prayer for that the the, the proposed Christian school name is Melville Knox Christian School Aberdeen and it's in partnership with Melville Knox Scotland so that's just as a as a side but it does link into some of what we've been addressing today yeah it's the confessional churches that have come together for this very cool all right well we will definitely um be in the description of this episode as well as on social media making sure that um it's not hard to find the kickstarter for the confession if you haven't checked it out or heard of it please do so. Um, even if, even if you are unable to, to, to give or to back it, at, at least to, um, keep this project and these brothers in your prayers and to, um, you know, hopefully just get excited about a project like this, whether you're a reformed Baptist or not, I think it's a really, um, important and exciting thing to, to see happening, um, in this time, in the world of, Christianity today and, and everything that's going on. So with that being said, uh, we want I, to- I do just want to say, oh. I personally just want to say thank you guys so much for coming on, for, for taking the time out of your busy schedules. And I know it was a little bit of a challenge to get something figured out with the significant time dis- difference. You know, right now it's morning where we are, but it's, you know, approaching evening and the nighttime there. So uh, we really do appreciate you guys coming on. It's, it's a huge blessing and a privilege to be able to, to share um, this time with you. Thanks. Thank you guys so much for having us. Yeah, yeah, really I really enjoyed it. the conversation yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's been a good time of fellowship. Amen. And thank you listeners so much for tuning into today's episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast or shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com with any feedback, questions, or ideas for future episodes. Are there any, other than the Kickstarter, are there any social media plugs that you two would like to throw out there for our listeners? You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Parisia1689 on both of those. And we have a website, parisiabooks.org. All right. Thanks again uh, to you guys and to everyone listening. And we will see you next time.